This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. I actually left it on the shelf, but you know when like it just it calls for you or something calls for you? I'm like, yeah, no, I need to read this book. And I'm glad I did. And there was a story in the start of the book, and it was talking about a man from America, and he was content. He was a farmer. He lived on a farm, and he had a family. And he had everything he could ever want. But then one day his life was shaken because this priest came by his house and he spoke to this man about the discovery of diamonds and how with just one handful of diamonds you could purchase an entire country. And what happened to this man was he went to bed and he was so discontent because he didn't have these diamonds. And it was almost like this this thought of diamonds consumed his every thought. It was like this was only the only thing that would make him happy. And so the next morning, he actually got up, he said goodbye to his wife, he said goodbye to his kids, and he left in pursuit of these diamonds. And he traveled all across the world. He went to East Africa, he went to Spain, he went all across the world, and he did not find these diamonds. And what happened was when he wandered into Spain, he was so disheartened, he was so brokenhearted, he had spent all his money in pursuit of these diamonds, that he actually took his own life. Now, the man who bought this farmer's farm, he was walking his camel one day by the stream. And there was something kind of glimmering in the water. And so he thought, okay. So he reached down into the stream and he brought up a black stone. But he noticed that as he held it up into the light, it shone all the colors of the rainbow. So he thought, pretty stone, and put it on his mantelpiece. Now, the next day, the priest actually came back to that house. And as they were chatting, this black thing on the mantelpiece caught his attention. And he said, that's a diamond. And the farmer said, no, it's not. It's just a black stone. He said, no, that is a diamond. Where did you find it? And so they went down to this stream. And as they put their hands in the stream and they began to sift through the white sand, diamonds started appearing, bigger than the rest. And that man had actually discovered the mine of Golconda which was one of the biggest diamond mines in America. This farmer had exactly what he was looking for in his very own backyard. He traveled all across the world. He gave up his his family, but it was right in his very own backyard, the biggest diamond mine in America. And so I actually shared this story. Um, I went to Shep Christian and I shared at their chapel. And I shared this story to the young people and I said, you know what, young people? There are diamonds in your lives. There are people in your sporting clubs. There are people in your schools. There are people in your family that are diamonds. They just need to be discovered. And so I encouraged them. I encouraged them to shine Jesus' light because we, we look for all these different things in different places, but it's right in our own backyard. And so I shared this with the young people. But God brought this story back to mind when I was seeking him this week, and he showed me something. See, that man in the beginning of the story, he sold out to the cause of finding these diamonds. He left his family in pursuit of something that he thought would bring him eternal happiness. But he grew so discontented with life that he gave it up. The Lord showed me a vision, and he showed me a vision of the main street, and there were people that were walking down the street, and it was almost like they were robotic. And there was just a sadness in their eyes. There was a darkness in their eyes. And I remember one time I had coffee with one of my friends down the street and they were, they were a new Christian. And they just said to me, Chloe, when I, when I go down the main street, I just see a bunch of robots walking around. 
There's no light in their eyes. There is a sadness about them, and it breaks my heart. And this was the vision that I, that I saw. You know, the church, uh, church, the world thinks that they have so much to offer. They have so many things to showcase to us. They have fancy diamonds, and, and not in the form of diamonds, but there are things that we, we want in life. You know, I think about, you know, when, when someone loses a job, what do we do? We try and we try and fulfill that desire in something else. You know, if my friends lose a job, they would go down to the bar for happy hour because what else is there to live for? These are the kind of things that, that the world tries to offer us. But all of these things, they're temporary fixes. And I love buying things as much as the next person. I like getting the latest thing. But what I have discovered in life is that there's always something else. There's always something greater. The shine wears off. It's boring now. The latest thing comes out, and then we want that. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to turn to John chapter 4. We're going to read the story of the woman of the well. Because she was looking for satisfaction in all these different things. But Jesus had the answer for her. And so we're going to read verse 1 of John chapter 4. All my scriptures are in NRT, by the way. I love the NRT version. Starting at verse 1, it says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the village near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Verse 13, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. We're going to skip down to verse 27, which reads, Just then his disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, What do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me 
and from finishing his work. I love that statement. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God. You know, when that's our hearts cry, people, uh, church, oh my goodness, I'm like mixing church and people. When that is our hearts cry as the church, people start to notice that. When our hearts cry is that our nourishment comes from doing the will of God, that we are filled with his living water, people start to notice that. That woman, she missed the point. See, when Jesus was talking about living water, she thought of water in the natural. But Jesus was saying, no, 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 come have a relationship with me and I will satisfy you for all your days. Because this woman, Jesus even said to her, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you are correct. You've had five and the one that you're living with now is not your husband. She was, finding, she was trying to find satisfaction in relationships. But God was saying to her, come and have relationship with me. That's going to satisfy you for all of your days. The joy of having relationship with Jesus would satisfy her for all of her days. And then the disciples, they also missed the point. They were trying to figure out who had given Jesus food. How has he eaten? But no, Jesus was talking about the nourishment that comes from doing what God had asked him to do. He was fulfilled by doing the will of God. But this woman and the disciples, they were looking in all the wrong places. You know, when I look at even my own friends in my own life and society and the way that they conduct themselves, I notice that they miss the point. You know, they say things like, well, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. That's, that's stupidity. Like, it's, it's so crazy to me. Like, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. No, we're here for a long time. We're here for the long haul. We've got things to do on this earth. I don't know about you, but there are things that I need to do in my life. There are people that we need to reach, and we are here for a long time and a good time. But this statement, it's a statement, and it's a desire for instant gratification. You know, when I hear people say it, it's, it's about, well, may as well just do it because, you know, we're going to wake up tomorrow and just feel bad again. No, no. Because Jesus comes to satisfy our soul. Jesus comes to satisfy those desires that we have in our hearts. Relationship with Jesus sustains us. We receive nourishment from doing his will. And I can only speak for myself, but I want to do something that makes a difference. I want to live for Jesus. I want people, when I, when I die, I want people to say things like, when I spent time with Chloe, I felt closer to Jesus. Not, oh, wow, her eyeliner wings were really sharp. Who cares? Who cares about that? She had nice hair. Who cares about that? that that's not eternal. The things that we will be remembered for need to have eternal value. And that is why we need to find our satisfaction in Jesus. Because our nourishment, it comes from doing his will. Our satisfaction comes from our relationship with him. That woman, she was looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. That man in pursuit of diamonds, he thought that his happiness was found in the discovery of diamonds. But ironically, they were found in his own backyard. The biggest diamond mine was found right where he was, but he became so discontented that he left everything behind in pursuit of something God had already given him. And so what do we need to do in response to this? Because it's found in us. The answer is found in us. And as holders of the answer, we need to firstly be an authentic reflection, an authentic reflection in the mirror. And before everybody starts saying that's very egotistical of you, 
I do makeup, I do my hair, I do my nails, I, I enjoy beauty, and so I have to stare at myself because I can't quite do it without looking at myself. And the thing that I've noticed about a mirror is it reflects what's in front of them. When my cat walks up on my desk while I'm doing my makeup, it reflects him, not me anymore. That's what a mirror is meant to do. And so I don't like those crazy mirrors that warp what you look like because it freaks me out. You go to Luna Park and you stand in front of those mirrors and it makes you really wide or really tall or really short. I don't like it. It's not fun for me. I'm already short. I don't need to be reminded. So what, are you amening that I'm short? Thank you. It's so kind of you. It's a warped version of what we look like and I don't enjoy it. And it is very obvious that it is warped. People actually crave authentic. People crave real. And there's something about authenticity that people are searching for in life. I think about the way that so many people are quick to buy the latest brands, you know, YSL, Chanel, all these different like high-end designer brands. And I actually asked my friends because they are all brand obsessed. And I said, what is it? What is it about spending thousands of dollars on a bag? And they just said, Chloe, it's the brand. We just want the brand. And I was like, okay, I could literally make you a bag and put the brand on it. Is it the same? Like, I, I don't quite understand it. But people crave authentic. If you give them the fake, you can't always tell the, the difference, but it's not real. And they don't crave the fake. People are drawn to us when we are real. You know, I've been told many, many times at different leadership conferences and when I did Youth Live Academy that young people can sniff out a fake. If you're being fake to a young person, they will sniff it out. And I think just in life, in general, people can tell when you're being fake. But when you are real, when you offer them the real deal, when you offer them the realness of who Jesus is, that draws people to you. Because the very real reality is we could be somebody's only experience of church. Because not everyone we meet has been to church. Not everyone we meet will go to church. And so we are the experience. We are the representation, the reflection of Jesus as the church. And when we get a hold of that, that should start to shift our attitudes, the way that we conduct ourselves when we're in public and in private as well, because God is always watching. But when we, when we get a hold of the fact that we are a representation, we are a reflection of Jesus, that starts to shift things in our lives. You know, the Bible describes it this way in Matthew 5, and this was a famous sermon on the mount, and starting in verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. To be an authentic reflection of Jesus means to shine our light. You know, it's, it's when everyone is denying Jesus like Peter did that we stand up and we declare the truth. It's when we feel threatened like those three, those three men that were thrown into the fire that we stand firm in our faith. It's when we're facing the lions like Daniel was that we declare that God is good. This is a way that we show people the authentic reflection of Jesus. Because life, has ups and downs, but when you stand firm, when you declare that God is good in the middle of the trial, people start to take notice because that's not normal. That is countercultural. 
I do not hear my friends going through trials saying, oh, yay, life is so good right now. No, they complain about it because they have no hope and they have no peace. And then I come alongside and say, hey, I've actually got peace about this situation. And then they say, but how? And I said, because I know that God's got it in hand. And they start to say, can you tell me a little bit about that? That is the way that we shine Jesus. When the world is, is in chaos, when our, our friends and our family's lives are in chaos, when we are the ones that stand firm and we say, you know what? This is going to be okay. I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to believe with you. They start to get curious about that. Do you know something I don't? I do. I know Jesus and I want to invite you to get to know him too. That is a way that we shine our light. It shows Jesus to people because it is so different to what the world represents. It is so against the culture that we live in. It's the way that we pray for our enemies when we have disagreements, when we keep blessings on their head, not curses, because it's easy to just curse about someone or speak bad about someone, but when you say, hey, God, that person hurt me, I bless them. Oh, what a difference that is. You know, when we offer to help someone that we may not get along with so well, what a reflection of Jesus that is to that person. Point number two, do everything with the motivation of love. Do everything with the motivation of love. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians verse, uh, sorry, chapter 13. And we're going to start at verse 4. And it says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. When I read that list, that describes Jesus, because he is love. And so we could read the passage like this, God is patient and kind. He is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. God keeps no record of wrong. And we could continue through that because that is who Jesus is. That is the character of Jesus. That is the agape love. That is the, the everlasting love, the unconditional. There are no conditions to his love. He just loves us because of who we are. And so that last part where it says God keeps no record of wrong. I think that's something that we all need to be careful of, that we are not keeping records of wrongs. Because I know in my own life, I can think of times, I can think of what I was wearing, um, what the person said. Like, we are very good at keeping a record of what people do to us. And I used to be very good at whipping out these offenses and being like, remember when you did this? And it was almost like a power move. It was like, yeah, well, you hurt me in that way, so I can one-up you. And I had to really seek God for forgiveness and say, God, why do I do that? Why do I always bring up people's wrongs? And it was almost a way of protecting myself. It was a way of saying, you did this to me, so you have to be nice to me because I remember that you did that to me. But in this, in this verse here, it says God keeps no records of wrong, that we are to keep no record of wrong because that is what love is. It's patient and kind. It's not jealous. It's not rude. You know, it's pretty rude of me to just be like, remember that time when you did that to me? Sometimes people say, how do you even remember that? And I say, well, it's in here. But no, we're not meant to do that. It can be so easy to remind someone of how they've wronged us. But love keeps no record of wrongs. 
kind, it's not always easy when someone is unkind to you. And sometimes it's just easier to retaliate and defend ourselves, to speak up and stand up for yourself and speak out against injustice. But then I remember a man who was wrongly accused, who was insulted, he was spat on, and he was ridiculed when he did nothing but bear my sin. A man who had every right to speak back and defend himself. But we're going to read his response in Isaiah 53. This is Jesus' response to all this abuse he said to his accusers. So Isaiah 53, and we're going to read verse 7 to 9, and it says, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, and he had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Those verses alone are very humbling. That is love. He stood in front of his accusers and he said nothing. He did that for you and I. Jesus is a true example of someone who is motivated by love. He had every right to speak back to them. He had every right to defend himself because he did nothing wrong. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He thought of you and I. In this moment, like a lamb to the slaughter, he said nothing. And so when I'm quick to retaliate, when I'm quick to snap my fingers and I, no, sometimes I just have to wear it because Jesus did. And if we're going to be motivated by love, we have to remember the true example of what love is. We could look at so many accounts in the Bible of how Jesus loved people. He, t- he touched the unclean. He spoke to a woman who was shunned by society, the woman in the well. That's why she was out at noontime, because she was, she was shunned by society. He spoke to a tax collector and said, I'm coming to your house for lunch. He loved us when we were still sinners and he chose to die for us. And so this is why we must do everything with the motivation of love. Because that is, that is the example that Jesus set for us. If we are to show people that what they are looking for, what they are searching for is found in Jesus, we must be motivated by love. A kind of love that is sometimes undeserved and it doesn't always make sense. Because it's found in us. That man who was searching for those diamonds was found in his very own backyard. That woman at the well who was speaking to Jesus, the answer was found in Jesus because he was the answer. But yet she was looking for love in relationships. And Jesus said, no, I have living water for you that will sustain you, that will satisfy you. And when the disciples said, who has given him food? He just said, no, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. The answer is found in us. We hold the answer. We are to be authentic reflections of Jesus and to be motivated by love. And as we do this, we are being God's hands and feet on earth and we are showing a broken and a lost and a hurting world that there is hope in Jesus Christ our Lord. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Oh God, we just thank you for the love that you have for us. Lord God, we just thank you that as Jesus was accused, as he was mocked, as he was spat on, God, he stayed silent. And so, God, I pray that you would help us, Lord God, when we are in those situations, Lord God, not to fight back, to love. 
Lord God, to not hold the record of wrongs because it's a power move that we have in our arsenal. But God, we would just remember that your word says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Lord God, that we would understand that there is a world out there that is missing the point. God, they are looking for diamonds. They are looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. But God, the answer is found in us. So God, I pray that you would help us be bold enough to reach out to those around us. Lord God, that we would be authentic reflections of who you are. God, we would shine our light in such a way that the darkness has to dissipate. God, that we would be motivated by love in every area of our lives. God, the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we talk about each other and to one another, God, it would be motivated by love. God, because you are love. You are the true example of what it is to love those who don't fit in, who are shunned by society. Lord God, who may not look like a typical Christian, Lord, you don't care about that. You just love their heart, God. You just want to restore them back to son or daughtership. God, because we are sons and daughters of the Most High King, we thank you for that reality. And God, I pray that we would realize that there are people out there who need to be restored to the kingdom of light. God, we claim them. We claim them for your kingdom. God, we pray, Lord, our motivation, God, would be just to love that we would realize that there's a harvest field out there that we need to harvest. And just pray, God, that as we go about our weeks, that there would be many opportunities for us to shine our lights, to speak about you. God, not in a forceful way, God, but I just pray that there would be ways that it would come out naturally, Father, and we would just be able to have an honest conversation about who you are and how you love that person. We thank you, God, that you provide opportunities for that. We pray that we would be obedient and we would be bold and we would take those opportunities. God, we love you, God. We honor you in this place. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.